Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adventures in the Veil, an RPG discussion podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Ross. Sit back and relax by the fire, for there are tales to be told. Have that right out. Welcome to the Adventures in the Vale Tavern cast. My name is Ross McClear here at the Cozy Crow Tavern. We talk about folk tabletop role playing games. I'm joined today by someone who I think has really traveled the path of folk tabletop role playing. And, uh, dusted off the thing that ignited their imagination as a child and now is teaching uh, and playing with their kids and then on top of it sharing that with the rest of us uh, he's got a youtube channel where he shares his play reports with his family D D game called the dungeon minister uh, father aaron thank you so much for joining us on the podcast well thank you for having me it's really great to be here ross thanks um so i just want to ask like I, I want to dive into this experience, kind of like get a whole kind of perspective uh, since then, since since your early episode when you, you you know you started describing what you were doing with your kids. But let's start with this: uh, When did you first play Dungeons and Dragons? What was the the first experience? Like, how did you start? Right, I first played like a like I think a lot of people of uh, of our generation. In 1983, with the Red Box Basic, um, the, Beck, the first in the in the Beck Me uh, series, the Frank Menser's uh, edit of Basic D and D, and I played the you know, the solo adventure at the beginning of the player's manual. No idea what it was at the time, but you know that was that was a time when I don't know if it was just before or around the same era as choose your own adventure books. So either I had already had experience with it or the, the cultural you know, pump was primed for it because it made sense. You just choose your way through. You make some choices. There weren't many choices in that very first adventure. Um, Alina died, of course, because she always does. There's nothing oh, no. you can do to yeah. stop that. And um, <clears throat> oh, I played... Um, and then there's another... There's a, a second adventure where you get a little more autonomy. You know, it... it, it uh, you do on milk first, right? And you, you learn your way in. But um, I had a lot of fun with it and, and went through that adventure several times, eventually rolling my own characters because they give you a pre-generated character, obviously, when you're first starting out. But I, you know, invented other characters, rolled up other characters and played the same adventure with them. And uh, it eventually found some kids in my neighborhood. They were a lot older. Uh, but they let me play with them a few times. Um, it was not a great bit because of the age issue, but I had some fun. And um, then it kind of lay fallow for a few years until I was in high school. And I was having it's my birthday party. I was having a sleepover. 
bunch of friends. Well, a bunch. Three. Um, I didn't have many friends. And um, they uh, they came. They were coming over. We watched Critters and ate pizza and things like that. And I said, look, I've got this game. Do you want me to write up an adventure? Dungeons and Dragons. We'd all heard of Dungeons and Dragons by then, of course. It was a cultural phenomenon by then. So they said, sure. And I wrote up a little adventure and we played it. They had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And so I said, well, do you want do you want me to do another? It doesn't take long to write these. I could write one up really quick. And they said, sure. And they did other things, played ColecoVision or something in the meantime. And I wrote up a, a quick adventure, which wasn't as good as the first one because it, it wouldn't be. I was writing it at like one in the morning or something at this point. And, um, but I wrote it up and, and we had fun playing that one too. And they wanted to play it again. And so I wrote a third adventure, which just stank. But uh, <laughs> because by then I was writing it at three in the morning. And uh, but we had fun, and we started gaming pretty much every week, sometimes multiple times a week, because we were all in the same grade, we all had the same classes. Um, the only thing we ever did after school was we all got involved in the, the school plays, the theater department. Department it was one guy, but um, so we had a lot of time free, a lot of time together, and. Uh, Yes, we, we played for a while for the remainder of high school. I guess that probably would have been junior year. So it was really only the last two years, that uh, year and a half, really, that we played. And uh, then we graduated and went to different places, schools, careers, things like that. And I really haven't seen those guys since. And I lugged around the books. By then, I had a stack of books. I, had, I bought all, because I had a paper route, so I had enough money to throw away, and I was... I bought all of the, all five of the, the box sets, including Immortals, which I looked at and realized was an entirely different game. Um, I, bu I bought a few modules. I never, we never played them, but I bought them. I had them, and I would mine them for ideas. And, but I, you know, so I had all this stack of stuff, and I carried it around, including the, the ridiculous map that I made. I mean, it was, it filled my bedroom floor. I taped all together a bunch of hex you know, that I'd, I'd copied, a photocopier, and, and taped it all together. And um, I, I lugged that around for years, and I, I was, I think I was in my early 30s when I finally sold it. Of course, by then, eBay was a thing, and so I, I sold it on eBay. My deep regret, somebody in Germany has all of my books. Uh, so if there's somebody <laughs> out there listening in Germany... <laughs> And you've got a set of English uh, basic. I will. I will buy them back. Any, you'll, you'll any know scribble mine. marks? Any kind of like? Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say you'll know mine because on the back of the basic player's manual, where it has that that character sheet printed on the back, I wrote it. I wrote in it. And it his name is Kang, which tells you where an eleven-year-old is when he when he starts making up character <laughs> names. Kang. Anyhow, yeah. So I, I sold those and um, thought nothing more of it. I kept a handful of things my my original set of dice a friend of my mother's who i i think must be the person who gave this first box set to me for my birthday or christmas or something um i don't remember but i think it must have been him because he also gave me a handful of dice. i know the dice and a few miniatures came from him and the miniatures he had, he had the, the, the old 20-sided that were that went up to 10 twice and you had to color them differently or, you know, I didn't understand how that worked that well. 
but there was a little bookstore in, in my hometown, Janesville, Wisconsin. There was a little bookstore, independent bookstore, and they must have realized that there was no game shop in town. They must have realized there was a there was profit to be made selling this stuff because they had a section for D&D. So I went down there, and they had a basket full of dice. You could buy, you, like, you just pick a dice, and it was like a quarter or something. So I bought a, it was missing a, a D6 and a, and a D20, so I bought those to add. And, um, yeah, I've, I kept those, and I hang on, hung on to a few miniatures, but nothing else. And, um, yeah, sort of said goodbye to the hobby and heard nothing more about it, thought nothing more about it. For how long? So much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess it must have been 20, 20, 20, 21, something like that. It's during the pandemic. And uh, I was putting my my boys to, to bed. I'm the, the bedtime guy. I read the story and that kind of stuff. And they didn't want to go to sleep, you know, like kids do. And so they started asking, you know, what did you do when you were my age? What did you play with? And so, well, I played with Smurfs when I was your age. My youngest was six at the time. Played with Smurfs. And how about when you were my age? Well, when I was your age, I played with G.I. Joe. And your age, it was Thundercats. And, you know. and eventually they ran out of things. You know, they ran out of toys. They ran out of age groups that they, you know, so they started expanding. Well, what did you play with when you were a toddler? I've got no idea. I was a toddler. What did you play with when you were a teenager? Well, mostly I played D&D. Now, what's D&D? Ah, what's D&D? And so I, I said, okay, well, it's this game, and it use your imagination. So you're a fighter, and you're a magic user, and you're going to be a thief. And the three of you go adventuring together, and you're in the forest, and you see a, on the side of a hill a shadowy area. No, that's not a shadow. It's a hole in the ground. It's an opening to a cave. You decide to go in, and so you light your lantern. You walk in. The light casts into the darkness of the cave and glistens off the damp walls. And ahead, you hear a scuffling noise, and two shining eyes reflect your lantern light back. Into the light steps a goblin. And I said, then you'd start rolling dice to see who, you know, attack and, and who hits and who misses and. And they said, well, that sounds cool. Can we play that? Oh, yeah, sure, we could play that. So we, um, I, I, I wrote up a real simple, like, you know, six-room dungeon or something. And I said, oh, let's go. We'll, we'll play that. And they rolled up characters. They all wanted to be elves. They looked at the, I found the, the, the Bear. player's manual <laughs> online. You know, yeah, I, 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 I printed the stuff up. I found it online. And I printed it up. And they read it and like, well, clearly the elf can do more than anyone else. Why would I want to be anything other than an elf. They hadn't figured out experience points and how long right. we would languish at first level, but um, yeah, and so uh, so we, we ran through the little adventure, and I thought they'd play it and say, oh, that was fun, cool, thanks for showing us, and move on, but they never moved on. <laughs> and now our house is just awash in Dungeons & Dragons things. Wow. So... Yeah, we started playing, and, and we have been playing ever since. At one point, uh, my, my wife got roped into it. She started playing the Thief Faux Fire. And, uh, yeah, my middle guy eventually tried another. Actually, the second adventure, he tried a cleric. And it was the most bloodthirsty cleric you've ever met in your life. <laughs> and, uh, and then he, during that second adventure, I think it was the second adventure, they rescued a halfling who'd been captured by the gnolls and kobolds. That halfling became Touchberry. So um, Touchberry is my middle guy's character. And he's he's sort of 
we, we, we don't talk about this in front of the boys, but he's sort of the star of the group. He's the, <laughs> he's the funniest character. He's the, he's the most um, three-dimensional of them. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, and we've been playing ever since. Playing ever since. Well, what made you decide to start sharing that online? Well, um, when... When I start, and I, and I actually, if I, if I really go back to it, I'd have to think through the progression of this. Because I went online at some point to see what was going on in D&D, or maybe it was when I was looking for the, for the, um, the old rule books, because I went online and I, oh, no, you know, I know what it was. It was Viva La Dirt League. Viva oh, La yeah, Dirt that's League. Fun. They have a good, great, it's a great YouTube channel. They, they started up a secondary channel where they play D&D. Right. And I was watching it and saying, this is familiar but very different because they're playing 5th edition. And and then when I was searching for the book as well, you know, for the rule books, I, I, I'm sure then um, I must have run into things about 5th edition, which surprised me because I didn't know there was a 4th, a 3rd, or a 2nd. You know, but... When I left the hobby, it was, I, I guess second edition must have come out, but I didn't pay any attention. I didn't play AD&D. There was no game shop to go to. There was no internet. So you didn't, I mean, unless something was newsworthy, like the nightly news or the newspaper, you weren't going to hear about it. So um, I, I, when I had quit, it was AD&D and basic Dungeons and Dragons, and that was it, you know. But um, yeah, I... Uh, so I found out all this, all this other stuff out there, and I began looking for YouTube channels about the Dungeons and Dragons that I knew, and I found lots of stuff about 5e. I mean, just floods of it. I found some stuff about AD&D First Edition, and some stuff about BX, the sort of Cook Moldvay, you know. But very little about Beckme, very little about about uh, Menser's edit. So I thought, well, that would be kind of fun to do. And I thought the boys would like it to, to watch me recap their adventures. They'd like to you know, see that. And if I'm perfectly honest, uh, which a priest ought to endeavor to be at, at some point, um, I had noticed there was still a lot of anger in, in our generation. Still a lot of resentment about the satanic panic. And about the, you know, the the way people had been made to feel about their hobby, the um, reaction it elicited in people, and so I said, you know, it wouldn't hurt to to hoist the flag and say, you know what, um, that's kind of over. It was never all of the church to begin with, and it certainly isn't. Um, it's probably a vanishingly small percentage of the church that still would look at Dungeons and Dragons and say, oh, that's that's trouble. Um, and certainly not, not the tradition to which I belong. And so I thought, hmm, I think it would probably do some good to kind of hoist the flag. And so I'm going to do this mostly for the boys, but I'm going to do it with a collar on. I'm going to do it specifically as a priest. Right, so that it's it's part of the it's part of the shtick. It's part of the you know, but it's not a shtick. It's I really am a priest. Um, I'm going to do that as as part of it. And and it, you know, there's a 
modern church movement, which is really quite ancient, um, of a missional church, which is not about bringing people into the church. It's about bringing the church out to people to go where they are, right? So here's a community that has been estranged and, and remains estranged in, in some cases from the church from 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they're going to have the same, they're going to have the same questions, uh, spiritual crises. They're going to have the same stuff to deal with that anybody does. And if they're still walking around with the stigma of the church told me that what I love to do, the hobby that I loved was, was evil, if they're still walking around with that kind of hurt and anger, maybe someone should go there with the collar on. Now, I've since found out that there are lots of other people who do as well. Um, but, uh, but I thought it would be, it would be worthwhile. So I started, I started out just sharing, um, share, I, I didn't think it was going to be a recaps uh, channel at first, but it turned into one very quickly. And, uh, I do a few other things now and then, but it, it really became the recap because people like the story because, because my players really do play a fun game and they, they, they really bring a lot of, of ingenuity and creativity to it. And, um, yeah, so that's how it happened, and and then it built momentum. It just built momentum. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I can't think when I when I found your channel. Uh, so the, the and we'll put the a link to the channel in the description. Uh, but the the YouTube channel again, it's called the Dungeon Minister, and uh, uh, and, and you are uh, an Anglican priest. Right. Yeah. Anglican yep. priest, and which so, in the U.S. is is, is Episcopalian. It, 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 okay. All right. And uh, so um, I I can think of a, a couple of things to me that, that it's incredibly novel. For one thing, like you said, Beck me, which I think maybe a lot of people listening to the podcast, uh, some of them probably know what that is, some of them don't. Right. But that's what basic expert champions, masters, immortals, which is uh, okay. the companion. Companion, Master Immortal. Oh, yeah. com sorry, Companions, Masters, Immortals, yeah. and that that Champion, Champions would make more sense. Champion would make more sense. I don't know what <laughs> Companions about. I, that that title has never. It, made it has something team. to do with the implied setting, right? Like Mistara and how you have these various powers, but they can't be gods, but because the ontology of Mistara is different, and you have the, have the various no things idea. about. Yeah, but um, you know, so uh, it, it, it it's even kind of hard. You know, like if somebody's listening and they don't know what Beck Me is, it's kind of hard yeah. to describe yeah. in the context of what Dungeons & Dragons is. But well, maybe to take a different approach, which is probably the more important one than the technical mm -hmm. one. Like, uh, well, you do these things and you got this weapon proficient, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe the more important thing is this was in, in 1983, correct me if I'm wrong, this was how like maybe almost a majority of people found their way into Dungeons and Dragons. So you're talking about the yeah, era. Yeah. Now, Mold Bay was important and it was big. Yeah. But um, prior to that, it was a subset of the wargaming hobby. It was a part of the Midwest. It was part of it. Now it spread to campuses and other places. But Dungeons and Dragons was this niche thing. And when, when Mold Bay opened the door and then Frank Mincer wrote this version close to the mid 80s now all of a sudden you've got just normal kids that are yeah. using their imagination and that's well, uh, and, yeah. and that's like the revolution 
right? So it, it really was, and, and a big part of that is the structure of Beckme. The reason it, it is an acronym instead of you know, like a single book kind of thing. The, the reason it came out in books is that it was a learning tool. Yeah. And so the basic the basic you know box set gave you the player's manual very much taught you how to play, and the dungeon master's manual taught you how to DM a game. And then the expert one came out, and it gave you a little more. And then the you know the companion came out, and then there was in the companion you had rules about um, war, you know, mass combat, and running a, a, a domain. That that had, was begun in expert. You get a little bit in expert, but it really comes to its fruition in companion, where they're you know, how to how to be the ruler of lands in this game, and, and taxation and, and, and hirelings and, and followers and all this stuff, and then master. You are now one of the people who, you know, bestrides the narrow world like a colossus, and and you have you know, a kingdom or at least a, a, a duchy under you or something like that, and you're you are large in the affairs of the world and even interplanar things. So it was this on ramp, you know, it, it brought you into the game in a in a step by step kind of way, and I think that's why so many people caught on to it because it. it Engaged, engaged new players where they were, which was I know nothing about this game, um, and and I still, you know, I I know Rule Cyclopedia came out, and a lot of people really love that book. Um, I still I still like the individual sets for that, even though it, it does makes send sense. you scrambling. Well, it's, yeah. it's why I was talking to Daniel about, and and that like now he's he's really into the basic set, but really there, something that is common between the two is this idea of we will actually teach you via text to run and play Dungeons and Dragons, which to this day, before and after, really is not really being captured. Like the, like those two, those two products. But what I was going to say is that I, I don't think uh, before your channel, I I'd kind of, there were a couple people who had talked about Beckme. I've got a friend who's really into Beckme. They like the rule cyclopedia. Uh, but I didn't know of any YouTube channel. Next. Since then, uh, you've got Beck Me Berserker. He came around yeah. in the past year and a half. Uh, yeah. But I don't know of any other channels that are like this really special aspect of the game I'm going to focus on. So that that is one thing that I think is really interesting and novel about your game. And not only that, but like uh, it just goes to show the strength of that game. It's kind of a living example of that where you, you're like, this game will... Uh, bring alive this this uh, this imaginative uh, improvisational narrative experience that, that where you do it with a bunch of other people, and here it is, your kids are doing it in your house. Yeah. So that that just goes yeah. to show that, that like, and and I think that's a good pairing. Uh, many a family have tried to do that with with the modern game and and have run into various issues uh, or or well, older game. Yeah, that that's one of the things I really love is that it it does have that. Um, it, it has that, you know, anyone can get this. There's right. no, like, you know, this, this is not a high bar. And and it was, because a lot, a lot every every edition has had some this is how you play it thing. But it's mm -hmm. like a chapter or the foreword. But this was the entire thing is laid out to teach how to play it, right? Bit by yeah. bit by bit. There is, yeah, there's, um, that was one thing, I, it was another, another reason of, for making the channel. Uh, really was. I, I did look around, and there weren't any Beckme channels. There was nothing about it. 
And uh, as, as you say, back me Berserker, there's also um, Richard the Dungeon, uh, Richard the Dungeon Crawler, who came out, and he doesn't do exclusively back me, but he focuses on back me stuff as well. And I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting now. But uh, yeah, there weren't a lot at the time. Yeah, and, and an, I think another thing that's novel about um, uh, the uh, your YouTube channel is um, this idea of a, uh, a real-life cleric coming into the D&D hobby again uh, after yeah. after what has occurred. And, and you said, well, since, you've, since then you've discovered other people have done it. Now, you and I are part of uh, an ecumenical play club where a lot yeah. we, 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 there are different people that are religious um, uh, from various traditions that, that are involved in the hobby. But um, I, I can only think of like a couple that like sort of uh, over the decades, there's one in particular um, and, uh, and then and then uh, the, and then there was a group that was an evangelical group that went to conventions. But it, I, I don't think it is a common thing. Like, a, and, and in particular, uh, an Anglican priest. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So I think that's also really novel. And this idea of trying yeah. to offer that uh, to to be there to to help people. I I think that's. Um, I don't. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. But I could especially see that being important as we end. Uh, as um, I just talked to. Uh, uh, Anchored Fernell from Runehammer, and uh, he talked about like this digital hibernation that we're in, where a lot of our <laughs> hobby experience is like this, where you and I yep. are looking through a screen, and that's yep. that's starting to come to an end, and we're starting to do conventions, and we're starting to meet one another face to face, and crawl back out of the uh, of the dungeon. Yeah, and and as that happens, it's going to be a very unique. Uh, it's 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 going to be it seems to me uniquely challenging where people are going to need to be cared for and yes. they're need, going to need to be helped um, and uh, so to to offer that to them also seems very special and unique to me it, it is there's a there's I, I will say um, that the I've had a number of encounters through the Dungeon Minister channel because of that channel, because I, I'm online as a D&D playing cleric of people in various spiritual crises um, with questions, sometimes really, really pedestrian questions like, how do I start going to church? How, how would I get involved in my in my church? People who haven't, haven't been since they were kids or never were part of it, um, and people in, in, in real crises, um, really, really bad places. And just the fact that they saw me in some other context um, and, 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 and in a space that they know and they recognize and they love, like, you know, it, 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 it made me okay. And there's a one guy who's, um, he says, I, I, don't, I don't usually like to have much to do with priests. You know, I don't like to have much to do with the church, but you're okay. You know, because I'm playing the game that he loves, right? I'm playing yeah. the game he loves, and I make terrain, and he's a terrain guy too. And is it, there's a humanizing thing about it. I do want to shout out because there's some people who early on, even though they, they weren't talking back to me, they're not Anglican. There are some channels that early on um, 
were encouragement to me and and really supportive. Retro DM Ray. Um, I love that channel. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the early Maybe. ones that really inspired me to get into old school Dungeons and Dragons. So. Cool. He, me too. And he, you know, he, he just lays out. He he was doing stuff where he do deep dives into something really specific, like how does this spell, you know, the sleep spell or the shield spell, change over the editions? Yeah. What is it like? And he'd read through and he'd show you the subtle changes, the way it. it you know, morphed as it went through. Um, DM Tales is another uh, another clergyman who has a, a channel, and uh, yeah, and, he's great too. Yeah, he is. And then there's Reluctant Artsy. I don't know if I've seen much from him lately, but um, but uh, Reluctant Artsy has a channel. He doesn't. He he. I think he's like every month he updates or something like that. He is Anglican though, so there's there's more than one of us. And I think <laughs> there's actually a good number of clergy because one of the things about clergy is we're big old nerds yeah you know it's a compliment though to be clear yeah you know (laughs) you you don't you don't you don't go into working for the church because you're the cool kid right (laughs) um and as i think there's probably way way more clergy who who either used to or do play dnd than than anybody knows (laughs) yeah okay so yeah, um, yeah, certainly so. But but also, it's true. Like there is this entire. Uh, I was just talking to somebody tonight about this. Like there are all these Gen Xers, and they're like in their fifties. Now I want to I want to come back to them. I want to come back to like that age group of like forties, fifties, kind of you know. But a lot of these a lot of these people were you know they were the ones picked on in school. Uh, yeah. but they had, they held the culture of their time. They were listening to metal. They were into the, the, the cutting edge of art at the time. And a lot of them haven't, uh, they, they've just carried that. That's, 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 that's their thing. And they still like that stuff. And I think about those, those people, but you know, uh, at least from their point of view, I think a lot of them felt, uh, certainly, um, uh, not favored, uh, by church going type people, but also just like people in general, like, you know, so, right. uh, yeah. and now they're, I, I look at a lot of the, the Gen X people now and I'm like, man, you all are our hope for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> if nothing else, like you, you were like the ones who like, uh, like people your age that, uh, that, that got that mincer box set, you know, when you were a kid. Yeah. And those are the people right now that actually really, hold the keys to know what Dungeons and Dragons is and its history and how it works. And, um, and yeah, anyways, uh, I, I love this idea of like, uh, loving and helping them. And then of course you've got young people. Um, there was a, a person in our game tonight who's 19 years old, you know, and like, and they were like, I want to learn Dungeons and Dragons. And we're playing the original, a retro clone of the original edition of it. And, right. and they and they love it and they're having a blast with it you know so there's there's young people too but but um mm. but uh, but this this generation of like gen xers and it could be like a little bit younger too but uh what i see happening a lot uh i see this i'm a real big fan of shadow dark uh i backed it i got like the book now These cool, the these digest size books are in fashion. Right, I, right. I, I love old school essentials as well, and uh, there's tons of Gen Xers that are loving this. And what they're loving 
is they're like in their late 40s and early 50s and they got kids and they're able to bring their kids into the, into the hobby and uh, I'm seeing waves of people doing that so one of the things I wanted to ask you about and bring up was like all right you did that like you got your D&D right. game out and you you invited your family into it what are like the where are the pitfalls in the road ahead for that for for people that are getting back I think there's a whole crowd of I'm in my 50s or late or late 40s life has slowed down a little bit the kids have gotten a little bit older I can interact with my kids on a slightly different basis now how do I do that like how do how do we start playing D&D well, I mean, I think the only pitfall, I would say, because it's it, it, no different than when we started playing as kids, right? I mean, it's, it's especially if, you, if, you, if you're working with a system that builds into it, and I, I am shilling for, for Beckman here. I want, I want more on my team. But, um, <laughs> but uh, if, if, if you, as long as you're using a system that includes, or, or you're patient enough to do the teaching, um, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't start a six year old with Burning Wheel, right? Um, <laughs> great game, but you don't, you're not you're not getting your kids into that. Um, but the only the pitfall I would say is for those of us who are carrying around a certain amount of nostalgia baggage, to not try to make your kids play it the way you did. Ah, yeah. Right? To say no, no, you're playing it wrong. It's just, no, they're not. They're not. <laughs> and, and it was played a million and a half different ways back in the '80s too, in the '70s. It, every table has its own character. Every every group has their own style of doing it. Um, and that that is the thing I think I find in, in in nostalgia in general, the the you know the you're doing it wrong sort of thing. But um, you know what. Kids, and I started. I started with a six-year-old, a six-year-old, um, eight, um, eight or nine. I can't remember exactly. When. I think we started in May, so it was a little bit. His birthday's in June, so it was a little before his birthday. But eight or nine-year-old, and an eleven-year-old, right? So they weren't that old. Uh, and people have asked, you know, well, did you have to simplify the game? No, no. This the kids memorize the names of dinosaurs. They they know every player on their favorite sports team. They understand the plot of Star Wars. They, they get all of Spider-Man's powers and where he got them and how they're done differently in this comic book or that comic book. They can track the game. They have no problem with that. You know, again, Burning Wheel, a little esoteric, <laughs> not because of its complexity, but because of just the, its tone it would probably not appeal. Um, very text heavy. But if you're working with a game that is you know, relatively, uh, relatively nuts and bolts uh, about it, so, you know, you're, they're not going to have a problem. And their imaginations don't have any boundaries. There's no, well, that wouldn't happen in a fantasy world. Yes, it would, right? And and they come up with stuff that is is. Charming and 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 funny. When I, you know, I, I said that my middle guy who plays Touchberry. Um, he decided one one day. He just decided that Touchberry was afraid of heights. Touchberry's a halfling, right? Just decided, and maybe he had remembered from something that 
that we read somewhere or heard somewhere that hobbits like to live on the ground floor. They don't like second stories. I don't know. But he decided that, that Touchberry was afraid of heights, and that just added a whole new wrinkle. And then he, then he decided that Touchberry is afraid of heights, but insists that he's not. And so he volunteers to do things, and then he gets into them and freezes up and has to be rescued. <laughs> so it just throws this whole wrinkle into the game that actually was a wrinkle that made it harder for him to play, right? Like, it didn't give him a mechanical advantage in the game. It gave him a, a disadvantage. But he can't do some heroic things. But, like, he just decided that would be a thing. And, you know, and it's brilliant. It's just brilliant, the, the stuff they come up with and the solutions they come up with to problems. We recently had a really, really big battle with a really, really big bad in our, in our game. And the way they orchestrated it, the way they put it together to give themselves advantage in the fight and to use their, their skill sets, you know, their character's skill sets was great. And it was very, very cleverly done. Um, you know, high level role playing. And so, um, so you, you trust the kids. They're okay. They can do it. You know, they know what they're doing. They're smart. They imagine all the time. So it's not like you have to teach them how to play Let's Pretend. They know. And um, yeah. Now, I, I will say there's some, some, some practical things. Like when we started, the six-year-old, I mean, a six-year-old's attention span isn't great. Now he will sit there and he'll focus on the game without a problem. In fact, he 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 runs a game for me, a solo. Oh, nice! Game. It it is, but he never wants to stop. <laughs> his, his attention span has gotten to the point where I have to say, I will play if I can sit in my chair, my cozy, you know, my recliner. If I can play from there, yes. Because if I if I play at the kitchen table, my my, my bum is hurting by about halfway through. <laughs> Um, so, but when we started, his attention span wasn't great. And so I found, even though when I was a kid, we never used miniatures, I had them. I had dozens of them, but I just put them on my dresser, unpainted, unpainted metal miniatures just on my dresser because I liked the way they looked. But um, we never used them in the game. But I found that that was, that was really important because that gave him something to look at. It gave him something to focus on. It helped keep him engaged, which at six, you know, um, and, and and it's fun also because if you're doing that kind of stuff and you make if you do make your own terrain, you can if you can hide it from your kids long enough to bring it into the game, you you put something down on the table and there's a wow factor and they get all excited and you know. So um, yeah, so there's there's some things some considerations. Yeah, you, you got to know the kid too. You got to know the individual kid and what they're capable of. But um, just trust the kids; they can do it. And it is, it is really a lovely thing to do as a family, you know, because it's, it's time spent, it's time spent doing something that the kids absolutely love doing and they love doing it with the family, right? It's something that they're really getting into as a group, especially if you've got parents, uh, you know, who have gamed in the past and can... And so can can 
introduce it in such a way that it's not like when we're fumbling with these rules, you know, you know what's going on. And so you can really lay it on thick, you know, and, and create the, the, the mood and the tone and all that kind of stuff. It, yeah, they love it. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to do as a family. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, it makes me think of like, um, I think uh, Richard Rowland talks about some of the stuff playing with his family and kind of the, the aim of the goal or, or the aim of the game in, in general that, I mean, certainly there's fun, but uh, yeah. uh, to borrow, I, I, I borrowed this a lot, but like, I, I don't know if you uh, watch any uh, dungeon craft, uh, Dan masters, professor dungeon master. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but he says like a lot, there's these different ideas and I love this. I love the chaos in the tabletop world. I'm chaos aligned <laughs> in, in, in life. I try not to be, but in chaos or in, in, in tabletop, I love that there's all these different flavors. I love that there are all kinds right. of different opinions. And one yeah. of the really cool things is all kinds of people are not even trying to play the game to accomplish the same thing. Some people are trying to just have a cool game. Like, and yeah. I mean like a board game. And that's very important to them. Some people are just trying to have a story, and for me, I think uh, I think it's this like connection. And uh, uh, Professor Dungeon Master uh, has mentioned it a couple times. He's like, it's like communion, but with like Mountain Dew. It's like it's like this connection. It's a connection thing that you're you're doing, and right. uh, and right. and. It, and I thought that captured it pretty good. I was like, this is some. There's something going on here. Like when mm -hmm. you. Uh, share a, uh, I can't even just say share a story because that that sort of implies that it's contrived or constructed. But of course, we know it's not. It's something that emerges when you uh, yeah. when you yeah. do it's an experience. It's impossible to describe Dungeons and Dragons, isn't it? It, but, it, 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 it comes close to impossible. But, you're, but it is a, it is a shared act of creativity, and so you know a painter painting a you know a, a portrait or a landscape or whatever, you know. Is it's that's pretty much a solo work. I don't think I've ever heard. I'm sure it can be done. It probably has, but I've never heard of a collaborative painting. It sounds like a bad right? thing. That sounds like a decision yeah. made by committee, for example. Like it sounds like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it can be done well, you know. But I've never heard of it being done well. And I've heard of books being written by a pair of people, but that's about where it ends. You get many more than that, unless it's like each person's. Contributes or, each no, that's that's the saying. Is it? It sounds like this was written by committee, right? Like that's yeah, a, that's like yeah. a like a uh, an insult to a novel if you say right. that, you know? Yeah. Right. But the but what you're talking about the sort of happy chaos of of Dungeons and Dragons is that you can write it alone, and you can write some really cool stuff. There's a, a, a fabulous podcast, Tale of the Manticore. Oh yeah, that's, he, yeah, he's he, great. You know, tells a story as a solo. D and D uses uses the mechanics of the game to tell us a story, and that's solo. Um, but it's what he's doing ends up being different than what happens at the table, right? I mean, some of it is the same, but it's also different because he's making the decision for every character. Every time there's a choice made, he makes it, or the dice make it. But at a table full of people, you've got you know, in, in our case, I've got four players and a dungeon master playing, doing totally different things all of them with a different angle or perspective or ideas. And so there's a, a the story that comes out of it is reactive. It's, it's, it's like, um, it's like improv, you know, improv, theater improv. 
sorry, muted to cough. Bless you. <clears throat> and you record you, the you, death you, of the dungeon. That's movie. what I'm saying. You can't yeah. perish yet. You must. You have to finish the podcast first. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, that's it for me. Uh, <clears throat> you end up with a story that that is a totally different creature than if you just sat down and wrote it, <clears throat> right? I could never come up with all of that, and if I could. It would be from my, it would be in my voice, right? So, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And, so, oh, go ahead. Well, and, and, and on top, I mean, on top of the, the resulting story, in fact, actually, more, far more important than the resulting story, is what happens in the moment when especially in, in older school games where individual skill sets matter so much more than I, I find than in, in more modern games. <clears throat> um, you have collaborated and say, you know, you have your role to play. You're going to be critical in this way. You're going to be important in this way. And, but together we're going to make something bigger is I think a fabulous lesson, you know, this is this is community happening. This is this is yeah. teamwork and and a shared goal and a shared aspiration. In you know, I mean, yeah, in ridiculous terms. You know, yeah, we need to we need to steal the crown from the Goblin King. I mean, come on. But still, <clears throat> it it trends toward this shared life, this shared ambition and goal and aim, right? Yeah. Yeah, the other night uh, we had a thief, a cleric, a magic user, and two fighters. So, you know, and uh, the thief went out, they went through a teleporter, uh, some kind of archaic device that teleported them into a cavern. And they could hear something outside the cavern. So the thief went ahead and checked. It is some kind of gigantic 40 foot tall serpentine creature. It's a hydra with five heads. So she sneaks back. She tells them. The magic user had just told them they had went down here to find uh, uh, ten people who were turned to stone. And he had gotten a, a wand of uh, turned to flesh. And so he had tapped all the way down to two charges. And they didn't remember anything. And he looked at it. This had just happened before this. And he was like, we're going to regret losing these two charges. I want to mm -hmm. free these people. But we should hang on a little longer. Right, and so then they take this teleport, and they end up in the cave. The thief comes back, tells them it's a hydra. They're both, they're all looking at the magic user, and he's got the the wand of turn uh, stone to flesh. And uh, and he goes out, and he's like, I I'm the only one. I'm the only one that can do something about something this horrid. Uh, and uh, and and the fighters at that moment are like, if you're going, we're going. And right. the, so the two fighters go out in front to face this five-headed hydra towering over them and they only have you know maybe a turn or two to figure this out before uh, before all these heads can strike you know and uh the the fighters are brave and they face this thing and the magic user turned to flat or flesh to stone with the wand 
turn the wand around the other direction. Fails, right? Saves, oh, no. faves versus magic. Saves and no, has no. one charge left. And then they have to survive for a round against this horrible beast. It's tossing one into the water, you know, and it's towering over and one fighter barely dodges out of the way. Last charge turns it to stone. And then this towering 40-foot-tall hydra crashes into the cavernous water, you know, and, and they, uh, cool. they defeat it. Yeah, and th that's the thing that you're saying, right? Like, because because uh, at one point later, then someone was like, oh, my gosh, without the magic user, what chance would we have? And I said, right. without those fighters, what chance would the magic user have had? Right. Yep. Without the thief, what chance would any of you have had? It would have surprised you on the surprise roll. Uh, so uh, all of them worked together, and they they took this thing down in two rounds. <laughs> cool. And yeah, but um, yeah. Okay. So speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, okay, we've talked about. And I, I, I'll let you go soon. This is the last couple of questions here. Is uh, we've talked about like some real high concepts. Your channel, loving and helping others, bringing um, uh, you know. Bringing a cleric into the, the real life of D&D &D as well uh, and, and being there for other people and then also showing this cool game, um, Beck Me. Um, and we've talked about like bringing your family into the game and we've talked about D&D as &D high art. <laughs> yes, it really is. I, yeah, I think so. It, it occupies its own space. Yeah, and then so let's set the, like those are some pretty weighty topics right real quick before we go uh sell me on beck me so so why should i stop playing original dnd &D and 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 why should we play beck me why should i play beck me well you absolutely shouldn't stop playing <laughs> i don't say that first of all you know um but my 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 eldest uh he plays fleetwood in the game he he's wanted to game down at the local game shop because there's one nearby the town we live in and, uh, and they all play 5e down there. Uh, well, they used to. Now I've started a Beckman game there, but they all play 5e. And he goes down there, and so he started playing 5e, and partly because I didn't want him looking in the Beckman Dungeon Master's books uh, and knowing any of my secrets. You know, we've gotten him 5e books, and he plays 5e with his brothers. He plays Beckman with his brothers. They game Adventure Conquer King together. Um, they have even dipped into it's a Conan <clears throat> they've even oh, dipped wow. into they played all sorts of different stuff um, but uh, and um, and Simple Sixes stuff from James K um, they've played all sorts of different stuff and if that's the game that's bringing you joy don't change but how about this if you've never played anything and you're gonna come into the game why should you play back me that I can tell you because it has <clears throat> enough rules that it is a, you know, a cohesive, robust system, right? It's not so rules light that you're just, you might as well just sit around and, and tell stories and do improv. But it's rules light enough that you don't get bogged down, you know, every round looking through six tables to find out how much damage your dagger does when swung with your left hand in an uppercut motion on a rainy Tuesday, you know, after the coronation of a king in the <laughs> county to the south of you, you know, I, it's not so specific. It's not so, so 
you know, rules heavy that, that you get bogged down in all of this stuff. It's very nimble. And it's funny because I started this game at the at the, the, the game shop and uh, someone was asking me, well, what, what about what about feats or skills or stuff like that? I said, that's not part of this game. I said, so we can't do anything? And I said, no, just the opposite. You can do anything. Right. <laughs> you know, say to the DM, this is what I want to do. And the DM will say, well, let's see. That's roughly a dexterous action. Let's roll, make it a dexterity check. We're going to give it a bonus or a penalty because of the situation you're in. Let's roll it and go. You know, and you just do it on the fly. You don't, because it's so, well, basic in its design, none of the rules are going to be so bent out of shape unless you're really trying. You really can't break the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. By that you don't. You can't. You can't do something in a game that's just going to totally throw it off, unless you're really trying, because they're they're pretty robust, and they're lean enough to flex in all sorts of different ways. Um, it's very simple to learn. You can get your entire character on an index card, um, and that includes a spellcaster. You just have to flip it over to use the backside for your spell lists, um, and yet that character can go all the way up to domain level play where you're you're governing a county or a barony or something, right? Um, it is wide open in terms of very easy, very easy to um, to homebrew settings for um, because again, the, the, the rules are lean enough and adaptable enough for however you want to play it. Uh, yeah. And um, and it's got a cool acronym, and who doesn't like an acronym? <laughs> it is fun to say, Beck Me. Um, yeah, so l let me summarize. Here's what I'm hearing. So it sounds like this is a game that, first of all, is, ex is, is so simple that it can be learned by a six-year-old and can mm -hmm. be imp imp improvised by someone who hadn't touched it in 30 years. It is so uh, it is so robust that you can be a peasant or a god. It sounds like an immortal, someone an avatar uh, that yep. you cast upon a mortal plane from some other place, and everything in between. And it does all of that. And between every book of the game, it teaches you how to do that completely as you do it. <laughs> yeah, as you do it, yeah. Yeah, that's I. I don't know how much different the rule cyclopedia is. Uh, I, I think I think it added some things, right? But, but so I can't. It added, yeah, it added feats um, as an optional. Rule. Okay. And the, the the thing about the, the the biggest thing about the rule cyclopedia is if you hand it to a to a, a noob, they're, right, you're going to be lost because it's organized as a reference book. Right. It's an index and reference than... type document. Did, uh, did it add the story XP, like the different modes of XP, or was that in Beckme? No, that, um, if it's in Beckme, it's in some, it's mentioned in some, you know, line of a paragraph on the 57th page of something. Because, no, it, it, gold, gold and, and some XP for, for monsters, uh, okay. slain. Yeah. Actually, slain or defeated, um. And and that's always been a, a thing that I've you know if you defeat the monster yeah I love you that don't about, have to kill it I love that about <clears throat> BX uh, and its DNA is what I call it because I kind of observe there are these 
even to this day, even in the old school itself, there are kind of these two DNA strands uh, of like advanced Dungeons and Dragons and original. And then there's the, the BX product line that continued on. And it sort of almost has a certain spirit to it. And that was one of the key differences to me is in the basic set it specifically says uh, overcome the monster and then it even gives examples like via trickery or parlay and um, it, it turns out to be an astonishingly non-violent game because when you have one hit point and so long as you overcome the thing it doesn't yeah. matter you suddenly come up with all kinds of solutions other than your yeah. feats uh, so yeah. um, well Awesome. Uh, yeah, I wanted to get your take on, on Beckme. Uh, I'm sold. I want to play a Beckme game. Um, but okay, what kind any anything upcoming with uh, Dungeon Minister? Anything coming up with the channel or, or anything else? Any, any upcoming projects that you want to share? Well, I am finally, finally getting back out, uh, out from under the whole uh, Christmas cycle. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, I think tonight we'll be putting the final touches on the the first of the uh, the my main recap storyline the, the the family game uh, that's been for like a month. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't put one out for a while now. Um, so I'm getting back to that, and that's going to go back into regular rotation. Um, some things that <clears throat> that have, have have been happening. A number of people have extremely kind people. Um, fellow who goes by uh, Shownuff on, uh, like, you know, Shownuff it is, kind of thing. Um, he, he sent me a, a batch of miniatures. Um, fellow Dan, and I, I will pronounce his last name incorrectly, it's Italian. Um, I don't have it written right in front of me. Um, so, I know it's not on my screen. Um, so, I don't want to mispronounce it, but Dan, Dan sent me a, a fabulously painted up uh, Orc raiding party, and Paint Minis Live. Paint Minis Live painted an army of skeletons for our game, and so there are these um, these additions are kind of uh, going to be showing up on the table. Uh, I oh, I nice. paint minis I paint minis, but I do so badly, <laughs> you know, very badly. And so there's going to be some other uh, the, the the level of of paint quality will be upped um, shortly. Um, Clericon, which was, we had a, last year, 2023, we had a, um, uh, a convention, we did a, a convention in, at, at our church, in our church hall, Glen Williams, Ontario, and that's going to repeat in 2024, it's going to be October 25th, 6th, and 7th of 2024, we're having Clericon 2, um, and, uh, so more information about that as we get closer, but date at least has been announced so that's coming up um otherwise i mean it's going to be more of the same more uh, occasionally doing crafty stuff um, we have <clears throat> actually just re just this week and sat last week we launched something that uh, fleetwood my eldest is writing little mini camp mini adventures and we're posting them for uh, for the patrons of the channel so that's been kind of fun to watch him get excited about you know ginning these things up and and, and put them together and uh, helping giving advice and uh, maybe think about that and so he's got he's got a bunch of uh, adventures lined up and that's that's pretty cool some of them may creep into table play and end up um, recapped on the episode if they if they fit the world so, so yeah there's some, there's some fun stuff 
Nice. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. Well, Father Aaron, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and, and, uh, and sharing this with all of us and thank your you. channel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Mythic Mountains RPG is a private online play club that focuses on folk RPGs. Folk RPGs are the games that belong to all of us. They're what actually happens at a table between friends. It's their voice that has the authority on what is fun and what works for them. Weekly, we upload our games to allow others to sit in with us. The channel isn't monetized. We don't own the artwork, music, software, or games shown in these actual plays, and you can find links to their authors in the description. Like, subscribe, and share if you wish, or don't. Just like games in person, you're welcome to pull up a chair, set in, and watch some of our games. No performances, no fancy equipment, just regular people playing folk, pencil and paper role-playing games, and having a good time. We hope these games will prove a source of enjoyment to anyone just wanting to listen in, anyone looking for examples of how actual groups run and play folk RPGs, and most importantly, if you haven't found your group yet, you're welcome here. Thank you.